This is A Closer Look with Arthur Levitt. Arthur Levitt is a former chairman of the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, a Bloomberg LP board member, a senior advisor to the Promontory Financial Group, and a policy advisor to Goldman Sachs. This is A Closer Look at Susan Packard. She was on the startup teams for HBO and CNBC, and the co-founder of HGTV and Scripps Networks Interactive, which became one of the fastest-growing cable networks in television history. In 2008, she was inducted into the Cable Hall of Fame. She's the author of the bestseller, New Rules of the Game, Ten Strategies for Women in the Workplace. But she's here today to talk about her new book, Fully Human, Three Steps to Grow Your Emotional Fitness. It's been 25 years since Daniel Goleman introduced us to emotional intelligence, or EQ, and Fully Human sets out to bring EQ current for the realities of the new workplace. Susan joins me now for a closer look. Susan, we're all familiar with the term emotional intelligence, or EQ, and you say that your book reimagines emotional intelligence, bringing it current with the realities of 2019. Just what are these new realities? First of all, thank you for having me on the show, Arthur. And yeah, there are many new realities. Um, The massive deployment of technology today in the workplace, when EQ was first given to us in the 90s, the Internet was just really starting to take off. And to have some context on that, HGTV and Amazon both launched in 94. So when you think about the world of 1994 and the world of today, they're very much different. And so this massive deployment of technology, for example, is a really good thing, but it can also be a dangerous thing in terms of how we relate to one another and use our emotional intelligence, or in my terminology, um, our emotional fitness. Uh, so, So technology can be a great thing, but it can also be a separator and a divider. Um, you know, screens can become barriers um, between people. And so, you know, one of the things that my book sets out to do is to deal with that and to talk about ways that we can work with technology and that it doesn't, uh, that it isn't a separator or a barrier uh, between us. So, so that's one big change. Another big change is the 90s were really a, a time of, um, you know, the, the, the Internet bubble hadn't burst. There was a lot of optimism. And then, of course, the 2000s hit us, and we had 9-11, and we had the financial crisis. And, you know, and even just last year we had, I think it was 304 mass shootings, almost one a day. So being able to bring our most emotionally productive selves into the workplace today is much harder than it was in 1994. And so, you know, that's also something that I deal with in the book. Um, We bring a lot of unsettled 
emotions today in just naturally into the workplace anxiety and the chaos and many of us feel uh, tremendous loneliness and so all of these things fear lack of safety so you know how do we deal with those unproductive emotions so that we can sort of shine in the workplace with our most productive selves i see some resistance to your book as being too spiritual or all about emotions and business is tough game. But as you point out, we've seen executives from Wells Fargo, Volkswagen, Uber, to name just a few, involved in abuse of power and consumer cover-ups. Studies show that one out of five CEOs have psychopathic traits. Maybe there is a spiritual problem. How did we get here? Well, I think a lot of entitlement is how we got here. Um, I think that the leaders that are in, um, the leaders you mentioned and others like them forgot about using emotional intelligence. And in fact, you know, the research bears out that at the CEO level, it's the lowest um, level in an organization in terms of using emotional, good emotional intelligence. So something happens between middle management, which is researched as the highest level, and getting into that executive suite. And um, I think it's entitlement and ego and all those traps that we fall into. When you coach people, Mm -hmm. what has usually gone wrong that makes them willing to seek out your help? Well, what's usually gone wrong is not so much one specific thing as they feel they could be more successful and they're not sure what's blocking them. So we go through a process of self-awareness and um, from there, you know, it, it helps them. So, for example, a quick example would be that one of the people I, I worked with, she hadn't realized that she was feeling so marginalized by her mother when she worked in her mother's business. And, you know, she needed to take control um, and ownership of her own life and her own career instead of her mother's version of it. So things like that can get in the way. You mastered the competitive game the way men have played it and wrote about that in your first book. So... Is this new book the balance to that one advocating for the traditional female traits of collaboration and vulnerability? The first book was about how we can succeed in our outer lives, our outer work lives through behaviors, actions, and strategies. The second book, this current book, Fully Human, is about how we succeed by growing an inner life and, you know, becoming the leader of our own life, which means understanding what we stand for, what our principles are, and how we're going to lead others. You know, we can't lead others until we lead ourselves. The second step to emotional fitness is trust. To illustrate this point, tell the story in the book about the first budget you did for HGTV. The uh, I was about six or eight months into HGTV's job, and we did our budgets, and we had until midnight. Our C, 
um, CFO said, hey, you know, we have until midnight to, to upload them. So about 11.30, I uploaded my budgets, did a final review, and realized that I'd made this grave error that was going to cost my teams a whole lot of money. Well, in my former company, they would have just dismissed this, and I would have probably gotten uh, – in some way, I don't know, castigated or whatever the case may be. But in this case, Jim Clayton, who was my CFO, I called him at midnight and I said, you know, here's what's happened. And he said, well, look, Suze, let's just get in in the morning together and we'll fix the problem. So that that um, his willingness to just have my back in that moment was a, was really a transformative moment for me. In, in leadership. How can you assess if trust is part of a company's culture when deciding on a job offer? Uh, right. Well, um, when you're faced with, in a situation with a job offer, and, you know, as I say in the book, trust is such a critical component, um, some of the things you can do is ask whoever it is you're interviewing with uh, the very question, how do you feel in terms of this, this environment being a trustworthy one? Now, you know, the first person you talk to will most likely give you the most politically correct answer, right? So somehow you have to dig deeper than that. You might ask to meet or talk to on the phone or others in the organization, you know, who have been there six months, a year, or longer. And by getting some sense from them is really the best validation of whether trust is something that exists in that organization. HGTV was turning a profit moving into its fourth year. And I know that the industry standard is seven to ten years. Why do you think you were so successful in growing the business? We were so successful in growing the business for a couple of reasons. One was we all did trust one another and have each other's backs, and so we moved very quickly with speed and focus. Um, the It was a good idea and right for its time. It was another reason. But I think as important as those two were, we saw our culture in our organization, the people that we worked with as partners, and we saw our customers as partners. Everything we did, everything the startup team did, we looked at through a lens of, are we being a good partner, you know, with our customers, or are we being a good partner with our employees? And that was an important element in our success. Do you think that there's only one kind of ideal culture that can be successful? No, absolutely not. I don't think there's one kind that can be successful. I think that uh, the leadership sets the tone for the culture, and I think if the leadership um, is accessible, visible, honest, um, then the personality of the company will take many different forms. And, you know, I worked at three different companies that were all successful, and the cultures couldn't be more different. Um, it's, it's just what do you want as an individual? You know, what fits you? That's the question you have to ask yourself. You write about the moment when you said it was time to go. After 16 years growing HGTV and 
Scripps Networks. How does EQ Fitness help you think through a major decision like this? I was actually um, a little surprised myself, but and first of all, I was surprised I'd been anywhere for 16 years because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a builder. Um, but this place, I had, I just kept reinventing myself with many, many new areas that needed to be um, developed and executed on. So um, because it was a startup, I was able to have five or six different jobs. Um, so that's the first thing: is know yourself. You know, how well do you know yourself? I knew that I had an entrepreneurial um, passion. And, and so the ability to reinvent yourself in a company is really important. And if you're that kind of person, but if process is, is what really where you shine and what you love, then those are the kinds of jobs you should seek out. So it all starts with self-awareness. And, you know, that's the first step in emotional fitness. Tell me about... Churchill Downs. How did that come about in the midst of all the work you're doing in the cable industry? Yeah, that was sort of an interesting story. Um, a headhunter reached out to me, asked me if I'd have an interest in serving on a public board. I was still, you know, deep in the saddle at HGTV. Um, and, you know, that, that experience, um, I thought, could broaden me. So I met with the the nominating committee and the CEO, and um, they were looking for someone who had television background, but also new business background, um, because at that point, the business itself was the Kentucky Derby. It, you know, that was the whole business, and unfortunately, that was only one day out of 360, you know, out of the whole year, and there were tracks that the company owned, and, you know, so... So my work was to help the board reimagine re the business and get better use out of the tracks and get better marketing for um, for the other things that it was doing. And one one quick example is that they hadn't done any night racing because they hadn't put lights um, in the tracks to do night racing. And you know, so we we recommended that they that they do that and. From that, we got a lot of younger people that would come out on a Friday night date and, you know, use the track and watch the races. And, and so it was those kinds of things that we did. I've got to ask you about the new star in Congress, uh, AOC, already so well known she needs no name. She just told a group of young tech innovators when you decide you want to be just brave, it opens up way more possibilities than trying to be perfect ever does. Would you agree with that? And do you think she displays EQ fitness? Is that why she's caught on like she has? You know, I think there's a lot of reasons. And um, she's caught on. Um, you know, she has a lot of reasons that she's appealing. And yeah, I, I, you know, the whole thing about being brave versus being perfect, I think perfect is really the enemy of <laughs> um, being successful in a lot of ways. Um, and women especially, we end up wanting to just be so perfect about everything. And, you know, the guys are over there talking and, you know, planning their next golf date. It, it's... Um, I don't know why we we are that way, women are that way, but brave is doing things in fear. 
I don't know anyone, anyone who's fear, who has no fear. Um, to me, they're not human. They're barely human, right? So they're reckless. Fear, reckless, exactly. Or entitled, you know, feeling that they don't need to have fear because they're so worthy, right, of being in their jobs. So, um, yeah, brave, brave just means um, taking action with fear and pushing through the fear. Now, you write that the third step for emotional fitness is the we principles used to create a collaborative workplace culture. What does that mean? Well, it means that EQ Fit leaders have figured out the balance between power and grace. You know, me, ego, which we need. We need ego to be successful and to survive the workplace often. And and we, which is moving myself aside for a greater good, and in this case, the greater good of the organization. And they have figured out that balance, and they trade one with the other depending upon what the situation is. And um, because, again, you're the leader, so you need to command a room, and you do need to have that kind of leadership skill, which is ego. Um, it's the nicest, I guess I would say it's the, it's the good form of ego. But they also need to recognize that they are nothing without the organization under them, without the people under them who do 99% of the work. And if they don't get to that place, then they will never be able to practice we principles and be successful. You write about mindfulness and meditation, saying that you understand if people roll their eyes, but there are many CEOs who meditate. Mark Benioff of Salesforce, Jeff Weiner of LinkedIn, and Ray Dalio, to name just a few, remind us of the mental and physical benefits of meditation. Well, one thing that meditation helps with is detachment. So, and that helps you with emotional fitness because you're not automatically, you're not just on impulse reacting to something you hear or some feedback or whatever the case may be. Susan, on your blog, you write about a recent trip to Italy to attend a small conference of senior level women running worldwide multi-billion-dollar portfolios. What did you discover about the state of women in leadership? Well, the main thing that we reaffirmed was that there aren't enough of us in leadership. And we talked about, you know, how would we move ahead to make a difference? And from that, um, a movement which is called Paradigm for Parity, P for P, was evolved. And today, you know, there are a number of women who um, have gotten commitments from some of the largest organizations that their, um, their senior leadership will have X percent of women by a certain date. And, you know, sometimes it just takes that kind of, you know, setting those kinds of um, goals and for organizations so that we can get women in better place into senior leadership. I'm surprised that the number of women running major companies is on the decline. Fewer than 5% of companies in the 
Standard & Poor's 500 now have female chief executives. Why do you think this number is so low? There was a female CEO of a Fortune 500 company that I was talking to one day, and she was leaving the organization. And I said, why are you leaving? And she said, why would I want to stay? Um, you know, her perspective, which I think is the perspective of, of a lot of women, is that, um, you know, it's, it's still the rules that apply in the largest of companies with boards, um, for example, you know, almost completely still male. I mean, we're making some strides there. But you're, you're, when you're only one voice, even though you're a CEO to a board that has many voices and you're, you know, continuously being outvoted um, on things that could make a meaningful difference in your organization. That so I, I think the next step for us, not only do we need women, more women CEOs, but we definitely need more women in board in the boardrooms. Now boards of directors are responsible for choosing chief executives and studies show that they tend to bring in CEOs who are similar to themselves. So do you think the solution starts in the boardroom? Oh, I think that the solution starts at every level, and that includes the CEO level. And look, I mean, you know, Elizabeth Holmes has been indicted, you know, because of Theranos. It's not, this is not just 100% male, you know, and this isn't, this isn't about male bashing, right? I, you know, this is about getting leadership in place that is enlightened enough to have the emotional wellness of their organization on their radar. It's not just, you know, their own emotional fitness. It's the emotional fitness of their entire organization, knowing you'd have to have your head in the sand to not know that today there's so much unsettled emotions that, you know, your workforce is bringing in. So to pay attention to that and to have systems and processes in place today to help your workforce, that's what, um, you know, that's how you'll grow a more productive, successful company. How do you start your day, Susan? Could you share I start your... my day with um, a cup of coffee, and then I meditate, and then I do some reading, and then I write. How often do you meditate during the day? Twice. Once in the morning and once around the dinner hour. For how long? 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. You write that once in a while I pick up my first book, New Rules of the Game, and I see perspectives I've gained since then when it comes to emotional intelligence. What have you learned? I think what I've learned in part is self-compassion. When I look at that first book, I, I wrote it right out of corporate, you know, right out of the corporate world. Um, you know, I'd helped to grow this enormous company. I left, and I wrote this book. And you can still see some of that rigidity. Um, and, I mean, I, I love that book. It's my first book. But this second book, 
you know, that one was really about the outer, as I said before, it's, it's, the, it's all the outer accoutrements to how do you be successful, how do you navigate an organization successfully. But this second book is a much deeper um, dive into what a leader needs to be thinking about and asking. You know, often a leader needs to be asking, where does this lead? And that's one of those questions that, your outer brain's not going to ask, but your inner one is and needs to. So it's, you know, it's a perspective that's a richer perspective that I have today that I didn't have when I wrote that first book. Is there a company or a leader out there that you wish you could advise before they go down the wrong path too far? Um. No, I no, not really. Um, I mean, I am. Um, that would assume that somebody's fairly new in the job. But the individual who took uh, Travis Kalanick's uh, role at Uber, whose name I I can't recall his name, but he seems to be doing some really terrific things to add to bring transparency to the organization, and I know that his board is helping him with that. Um, I, I really can't think of any one individual. She was the co-founder of Scripps Networks Interactive and former chief operating officer of HGTV, which became one of the fastest growing cable networks in television history. In 2008, she was inducted into the Cable Hall of Fame. She just published her second book, where she shares insights gained during her Years at HGTV, Fully Human, Three Steps to Grow Your Emotional Fitness. Susan Packard, thanks for joining us. By the way, if you have comments about the show or suggestions for topics, please email me at a closer look at Bloomberg.net. That's a closer look, one word, at Bloomberg.net. And follow me on Twitter at Arthur Levitt. This is a closer look with Arthur Levitt. It's 25 minutes past the hour.